0: You're listening to audio from Cornerstone Christian Fellowship, located in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. We hope this message is helpful to you in your journey with God. For the live stream archive of our worship services, you can visit youtube.com slash cornerstone Lebanon PA. Christian community is best lived out in face-to-face relationships with one another. We encourage you to physically participate in a local church setting within your area, Learn more about our faith community by visiting cornerstonelebanon.com. So we're continuing in our series, One New Humanity, which is in connection with the book of Ephesians. And um, uh, the church is not called to be a place of uniformity, but it is called to be a place of unity. And we're seeing in the book of Ephesians how uh, part of God's purpose and goal and will is for all things to be joined under Christ. And so if we are not in some type of diverse gospel community, we are limiting the will, the purpose, and the wisdom of God in the world. Uh, Tim Mackey, who is a teacher with the Bible Project, and in his uh, class on Ephesians, he says that there are depths and dimensions of the love of God that are impossible to experience without regularly surrounding ourselves with other followers of Jesus who are not like us. So that's kind of the overall uh, series, um, big big picture kind of thing. Today we're going to dive into siblings specifically spiritual siblings. How many people here grew up with siblings in the household? Raise your hands. Okay, how many uh, uh, single, single kid people do we have here? One, two, wow. I'm a mixture, I think I've mentioned this before. My siblings were 18 years older than me, so I never had to share things with them. And so I have the, I have the only child problems. And the youngest child problems all at the same time? Oh yeah. yeah. (laughs) So the big key idea for today is this, is that in the New Testament, over and over again, the New Testament, Paul, Peter, um, the other writers, you know, the scripture that is God's word to us uses sibling language, the idea of brothers and sisters, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ if we are believers over and over and over again. Because there is one Father, we are stuck And bound together, whether we like it or not, in the household of his family. One of the markers of being siblings in Christ is that we don't get to choose who is in our family. However, the Spirit of God puts a choice before us. Together we can either grow up or we can grow bitter. Either we can grow up or we can grow bitter. Um, If you're following along in the Bible reading plan uh, with Cornerstone as part of our uh, Connect groups, um, we're going to finish up on the book of Genesis sometime this month. And there's a ton of family dynamics in Genesis, and specifically of the dysfunctional kind of family dynamics. And a big part and purpose of the Bible is simply that it shows us how messed up humanity is. And how faithful God is, it's still extending his transforming presence in our lives. You know, it ultimately points us uh, to wisdom and rescue found in the perfect son of God, human, which is Jesus, all while displaying the folly of our ways. um, As we try to be self-made people that we're either trying to ignore our creator or we're trying to manipulate our creator. And so part of the purpose of the narrative of scripture is to show us that folly and also to show God's faithfulness in it. Genesis doesn't provide a real good role model instance for sibling relationships. Just to name a few, we got good old Cain and Abel that have competition, murder, and jealousy. We have um, Isaac and Ishmael here. Ishmael is with his mom. In this relationship, there's competition, there's mocking, there's banishment. And don't worry, ladies, there's also some great sister relationships in here. We have Leah and Rachel's relationship, which is filled with physical comparison, with competition, and with shame. And then we also have Joseph and his brothers, which they're trying to put him into a pit here, and I think it's because he has long hippie hair as compared to the rest of them. But no, in in that place, there was a ton of favoritism going on. There was deception all around. There was exile in their relationships. And then even as we get to the gospel accounts, we see uh, brothers James and John who really do actually get along pretty well together, but they get along because they're striving for power and control. Then we have Mary and Martha who we see bickering about what the other person should be doing at a certain time. Proverbs 17:17 says this, A friend is loved at all times, and a brother is born for trouble. And while this might be telling us that a brother sticks around in times of trouble, what we see as the overwhelming picture in the scriptures, and also in a lot of our lives, is that brothers, the sister, can be our adversary. It's somebody that we have difficulty with. There's trouble looming in our relationships often. Uh, A buddy asked me what I was teaching about this week, and I mentioned about the sibling dynamic and and taking it out of the biological, but as the family of God, um, what is it like to be siblings with one another and the joy and the difficulty in that. And he was thinking about his own physical biological brother, and he just had this look in his eye, and he's like, yeah, there's nothing like sharing a bedroom with someone you hate. And it was funny because um, he told me a story a couple weeks ago when I was at his house about how he got so mad at his older brother for picking on him, that he actually got one of those big knife wood blocks, you know, where you have like 10 knives in it. He took it and he chased his brother around outside and threw the knives at him. And I'm not gonna tell you who this person was, you would not have known that from this person. There's been some good transformation in this person's life. Yes, but there is like this angstiness, and I'm not saying all of us or any of us really have that kind of angstiness, but there is this special sibling dynamic where they can be our best friend and our worst enemy all at the same time. And it would be great if that would just stay there in the biological realm, and in the family of God, things are a lot different, right? It would be great if misunderstandings would be few and far between, that offenses and wounds would be minimal, that trying to earn value and love within the family of God would be a thing of the past. And yet the written word of God speaks to us over and over again of correction and adjustment and so much of what is written in the New Testament is about how we treat and love one another. In 2,000 years since Paul wrote Ephesians, the need for us to be changed and transformed to deal with our fears our sins and our insecurities, it's still prevalent as ever. And one of the ways that God has chosen to sanctify us, that means to make us clean, to remake us into all that he has designed us to be, to weed out those ever subtle areas of pride and arrogance kind of lurking in the shadows of our hearts, is to bind us together as diverse siblings in Christ, bringing our different perspectives, our grace-given gifts, but also our wide ranging weaknesses that we love in one another oh so much. And this, I can't say that this is an optional part of the gospel because the way it's written about in the New Testament doesn't present it that way. Where it's just like you don't need to worry about your familial relationship with the body of Christ. You can just kind of have that as an optional thing if you follow me, if you follow Jesus. It doesn't seem like it's an optional thing. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is writing to the church and he says this, he says, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here we see that the rich variety of God's wisdom is to come through the rich variety of the church. And so there is this spiritual warfare aspect to this. We want to be able to kick the devil in the teeth, so to speak, by praying in the Spirit and interceding with divine power to demolish strongholds and arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, thus saith the word of the Lord. Are we also pushing back against evil? by sitting down at a table with a brother or a sister and hashing things out? Are we pursuing conversations of conviction and compassion, of empathy and exhortation, and are we seeing that also as our spiritual act of warfare? In John 17, Jesus says this to not just his disciples that were there with him, but he says, for all that would believe in my name, He says the glory that you, Father, have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you have loved me. A significant part of our mission as the church, when we think of mission, we tend to think outwardly, which is appropriately. But there's also this huge part of the mission of the church that begins in here. In this room, and even as we treat other people from other local congregations, the world needs to see the church enjoying one another, not constantly scouring at one another. The world doesn't need to see a Christian community, though, wearing masks all the time. And this is not has to do with COVID. This has to do with the masks that we wear around one another. Possibly we wear these masks filled with good intentions, but pretending that things are fine, they're fine, they're fine, they're fine all the time is not what's needed. Maybe the insta-culture of the world where image is everything needs to see the church participating in a patient, long-form, and messy working through of relationships. Are we being a witness to that as part of our mission as the church? Will we, you and I, disciples of Jesus, brothers and sisters, trust as goodness what and how God desires to shape His family? That is the church. Will we submit ourselves to that mission? Will we grow up or will we grow bitter? Last month during our State of the Family address, Barry mentioned um, that both staff and elders over the past six months or so have gone through some intense fellowship uh, and conversations with one another um, that needed to happen. And just so everybody's clear, I have Dennis's permission to share this. (laughs) Dennis and I were the focus of one of those interactions. Before an elder prayer time, there was a squabble between Dennis and me about the handling of a situation. We weren't on the same page as to how it should have been handled. That disagreement opened the doorway to some underlying unspoken thoughts and feelings that had been stewing in both of us towards one another. Dennis and I like each other and have some traits, such as our stubbornness that we share with one another, but we are also very different people. Different approaches, different ways of thinking, different words, different personalities, different social circles, different enjoyments, different strengths, different weaknesses, different leadership styles. Our paths probably would not have crossed if it wasn't for Jesus and the church. And we each would have suffered a loss if that had happened. Anyway, so when these intense points of fellowship come up, our reptilian brain kicks in into fight or flight. I don't want to be here. I'm just going to get up and leave. Everybody else figure this out. You deal with yourself. I'll deal with myself. Let's move on. Or in the fight category, hey, here's my opportunity to bombard them with all the ammo I've been storing up over the years. But then the gospel cuts in if we're listening, reminding us that neither a cowardly flight nor a self-centered fight are going to advance the kingdom of God. And so jumping back to Dennis and I, Dennis and I talked about a couple things, including how we felt devalued by the other, whether through eye-rolling passive aggressiveness or gruff language and tone. We talked about generational differences and how our past has informed for better and for worse our natural approaches to life and how they are distinct from each other. This wasn't the first conversation of tension that Dennis and I had, nor likely our last, but probably the best. And in part, that was because of having the help of others to mediate the words between us. There weren't sides or ganging up as we sat with some of the elders. There was affirmation and discernment and correction towards both of us. I see some of those same things that he mentioned in you as well. Or uh, you're skirting around acknowledging your responsibility in your actions that hurt him. The meeting that night had raised voices, tears, continued misunderstandings, laughter, hostility, hugs, wisdom, vulnerability, resolve and work still to do. It wasn't fun, but it was family, and it was good. Living into the finished work of Christ doesn't involve a magical incantation where a spell is cast and things suddenly are golden and great. But the gospel does open up a new power, a new possibility, and a new patience to go after the broken parts of ourselves, the broken parts of our relationships, and the broken parts of our world. So in Ephesians chapter 2, this is what Paul says. This has been kind of the go to over and over again in these verses about the one new humanity. It says this It says, Together as one body, Christ reconciled both to God through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access. To the Father, by one Spirit, the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Paul makes a big deal in many of his letters about how different, whole different groups of people need to start seeing themselves as part of the same household. Whole tribes of population now redeemed by Christ are to consider themselves one. Those who were far off, in this context, meaning the Gentiles, and those who are near, in this context meaning the Jews, are to be united together in Jesus. Different cultures and traditions will need to be adapted and honored and let go of. Different morals and ethics will now need to be hammered out and submitted to the law of Christ. There is this Jew-Gentile layer, I would say, to the story of the prodigal sons in Luke 15 that perhaps you read this week. It has to do with the younger brother, with his disregard of others, his devaluing of the father and the disinheritance of family, somehow connecting to the wild Gentile ways. And then the older brother, the the Jewish people who have always been around the house, dutifully serving, and yet have so often not only missed the father's heart, but also the Father's mission of mercy with the ingathering and the blessing of all who would come. One of the points, though, is that both are meant to be in the household, the younger and the older. They are to enter and party together. And in fact, both need one another to mature in different ways. Also, by the way, any artists that are part of Cornerstone, as I went through um, trying to find graphics for today... I need updated modern graphics about biblical stories because I know there's like historical garb and everything that's going on, but I'm getting tired of the style. So if you want to be commissioned to make some like modern yet true to the text uh, interpretations of some stuff, see me, I would greatly appreciate it. Oftentimes the things we pride ourselves in don't count for anything. Oftentimes, the strengths we have to bring to the table aren't used to serve others, but are used to control others. In the letter to the Galatians, Paul writes how none of those things matter, at least not in the way we want them to matter. What counts is the new creation. What counts is faith expressing itself through love. And we remember that for Paul, this wasn't just some kind of theological exercise for him. This was part of his own story how he was tremendously shaped by God in this. He was as a Jew a zealous destroyer, a violent blasphemer of the church. He had all this hostility towards Christians that was eventually broken through being humiliated by love. God literally knocked Paul on his butt through a vision left him speechless and blind and blind until Ananias probably a God-fearing Gentile or at least a Greek Jew, prayed for him. And then Paul became the apostle, the sent one to go to the Gentiles. God's love can humiliate us. God's love turns upside down our self-respect. It injures our false sense of dignity. It shows us our shameful foolish ways. And just as Tim Williams last week talked about Moses at the bottom of the well, only able to look up, only able to come to um, a realization that he can't depend on himself and he needs to depend on God. So Paul, chief of sinners, I imagine him walking into a house church after his revelation with eyes staring at him in fear and in shame of what he's done. But now with the hostility killed through his humiliation, he's now able to receive the sweetness of mercy. He's now able to receive a true identity and calling that in Christ he is part of a new creation. That his brothers and sisters now being Jews and Gentiles under Christ are sharing in one Lord, one Spirit, one baptism, one hope, one body, and one Father over all. So, what can we do in prayer and practice? Well, there's a lot of things. There might be people that are coming to mind to you, as far as maybe conversations you need to have. I'm not going to specifically go there. But um, this also connects to last week, Tim Williams' uh, prayer and practice conclusion. Last week, Tim reminded us that we need to be merciful and patient with one another. Why? Because we're all still under construction. Amen? Amen. So there is a time for everything under the sun, including a time to labor and a time to rest. And this is kind of a trivial thing, but it came to mind as I was thinking about the underlying point of the prayer and practice. There's been many times, especially in the past, I was driving down to Philly or to the Pottstown area to visit some friends or ministry there. And one of the things I hated in taking the turnpike was when the turnpike had construction and it would slow you down from whatever it is, 70, 75, to maybe 55 if you're lucky, like sometimes 40. It would kind of push you into that one lane. Um, And then the thing that would agitate me, this is trivial, but would be that there was no construction happening. (laughs) All this stuff is being like, you're going through all this stuff, and it's like, are, are you guys doing anything? And now that's from a perspective. I'm sure there were stuff maybe at night going on. But in the moment, there's like all this rigmarole, for construction to happen, and nothing's happening. So I want to kind of flip Tim's thing, like to remember that we're all under construction, but then I want you to kind of flip it and look inward a little bit. Are you and am I presenting myself before the Lord to be under construction? Are you and am I presenting ourselves before the Lord to be changed, for him to work and to reconstruct us in ways That might be a little scary for us. Last week, Naomi and I watched one of the greatest horrible movies of all time. Movie? Speed. Keanu Reeves, uh, Sandra Bullock. So quickly, the the way the story goes is that there's a bomb on a bus, of course, and if it goes under 50 miles per hour, it blows up. Okay, there's people on the bus. Um, Keanu reese is there to save the day. Uh, thank God. Uh, luckily, they find an abandoned highway, and uh, they can cruise for miles and miles and miles without having to worry about running over people or hitting things or going below uh, the speed limit. Except there's this issue. On the map, this, this highway is complete in its construction. Like, if you look at the map, you see the road and a continual line going forward. And they're like, great. We can just ride this into the sunset kind of until we figure out what to do. However, what ends up happening is that they find out from some uh, reconnaissance ahead of time that there's a 50 foot gap in the bridge, in the road. And so what do they do? They can't go below 50 miles per hour, it's gonna blow up. The obvious thing to do is to floor it and try to jump the bus on no incline. If you'll notice there, there's no incline there. I don't know how the bus is going like that. It's not, this is, this is beyond physics. In fact, in fact Mythbusters did a whole episode on this, like, no. Where they jump over, and of course it's movie, and it's laughable and it's kind of exciting because it's a 90s movie, and they make it, and it happens. That's Hollywood. So listen, metaphorically, there are some lanes in our lives that are not open for God's spirit to flow if certain pieces aren't connected and put together through his grace. Let me say that again. There are going to be certain lanes in our lives, not all of it, that's not how God works. There's going to be certain lanes in our lives that are not open for God's spirit to flow if certain pieces aren't connected and put together through his grace. It is superstitious to think that the bus is going to magically jump the gap. However, it's of a sacred mindset to think that Jesus has certain good, albeit difficult, construction works prepared for us to walk in regarding living and loving the family of God. Again, we're either going to grow up as siblings together or we're going to grow bitter. Team, you guys can come back up. So for prayer and practice, keep these in the back of mind over the next couple months. Prayer, who don't you want to, so in your time with the Lord, think to yourself, ask the Spirit, who don't you want to screw up in front of? Who don't you want to be weak in front of? Who don't you want to admit that you're wrong in front of? Who don't you want to possibly ugly cry in front of? And then ask why is that? And then also ask for the courage from the Lord to be imperfect in front of that brother or that sister. That's the prayer. Who do you, who don't you want to screw up in front of? Who do you admit fault or failure? Why is that? And there could be great reasons. I'm not saying there's not, but what else might be going on there? And how might the Lord put courage in us in order to actually talk or have a conversation? And then second thing, the praxis, uh, this is where the elders tell me you're not allowed to preach anymore, Justin. Over the next couple months, I want you to consider going to another church and come back to Cornerstone. I want you to consider visiting another local church to worship the one Father who is overall. If you're into the quiet scene, maybe you want to go to a megachurch. If you're into the energized worship scene, maybe you want to go to a more traditional church. I would ask that you consider engaging, participating, coming back to Cornerstone, but process your feels and your thoughts, both good and bad, knowing that you have beautifully weak siblings and that you are a beautifully weak sibling yourself and that you're different from not only the people here at Cornerstone, but we're also different from other local church bodies. And that there's commonality and there's also diversity there. So considering going, visiting another local church to worship the Father and all the possible awkwardness of it, um, especially when we did this over sabbatical and it was both great and also frustrating. And I'm not going to get into my judgmental issues at this moment, but it also helped to work me a little bit and be like, why why do you feel this way? Maybe there's a good reason you feel this way, not denying that at all but how are you still in the middle of your feels and thoughts about certain things going to view the truth of the matter that all those that are in Christ you're related to and that you're actually bound to them and we can't be in close proximity to every single Christian that's in our area but do we have a mindset and imagination to try to work out the relationships that are here in this room And then we as a church, do we have the imagination and the mindset to think about how we can connect with our brothers and sisters and other local congregations as they're seeking um, the Father, as they're looking to pursue the mission of the kingdom? So that's the prayer and practice for this week. Um, or I, I... I don't want to say this week because all these prayer and practices, if we were to do them, we would be so exhausted if we did them like week by week. Um, So as we collect these prayers and practices, ask like what are the ones, Lord, that you would have me specifically sit down and pray about or specifically participate in over the next couple months and then do them. Don't say, uh, well, I'm under construction, but there's nothing going on. We need to take steps just like you don't, actually work out by watching YouTube videos of people working out. You need to do the moves. You need to go and do it to, be, to strengthen, to maybe tear some ligaments, uh, but then to be healed too. It's about participating in the kingdom. So let's stand together as we worship and I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you for this time that we can remember the vastness of your household. God, I pray for um, the parts of your body at cornerstone that might be strained. God, I ask for the parts of your body where conversations for years might not have happened and that there needs to be a tabling together, that there needs to be a seeking of uh, mercy, humility, of also speaking what we think and we feel, of forgiveness, of being okay not knowing where to go next with one another. Thank you for your love towards us and the love you call to extend to one another, especially those that are so different than us. We trust you, God, like this is your plan. This is your goodness. And so help us to to trust in that and walk in that uh, little by little to take a step. God, I want to lift up Brian Stevenson from the fireplace. And I want to lift up Jimmy Nyman from Lifeway as both of these brothers are either on sabbatical right now or coming back from sabbatical. God, I pray that you uh, have and will refresh them. I pray that your kingdom would be increased through their local ministries and through the people that they help to love and serve and lead, whether it's at the mall or at the playgrounds in Myerstown. We ask for a humility to spread across the Church of Lebanon. And we ask um, for your grace um, to, to be under construction and to do the work you have called us to do knowing we are not alone, knowing you're just not like, okay, here's some tools, go get them, but that you're actually walking with us. You're with us, you're next to us as we submit to you, as we trust in you. Without faith, it is impossible to please you, God. Help us to trust you. We want to please you as your children. We pray this in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all God's people said, amen.